0: Hey, welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles. This podcast is about cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. Every week, I interview an expert working in the field of security. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, a security program management platform for virtual CISOs and security experts. For years, as the general counsel to several startups, I suffered from what I call the security questionnaire problem. So one day, I figured that if no one else was solving the problem, I would. I started this podcast because I went running one day, and I tried to find a podcast on cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business, and I didn't find any. So just like how I started ClearOps, I thought, I'll start my own podcast. Our guest today is Rohit Sh- Shavas and I am so happy to be talking to him, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, but thank you for joining me, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, it's Kellen. Thanks, thanks a lot for having me, and I've been listening to a few episodes of the VC Soap Chronicles, Really good conversations with a lot of people. Happy to be
0: here. Thank you for saying that, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. So that means you probably know what my first question is, but I'm going to ask it anyway, which is, please tell the audience about your background and where your passion for cybersecurity came from.
1: Okay, so it all started uh, more than 20 years ago, uh, then cybersecurity or hacking, so to say, was a very new and exciting term out there in market, and I was finishing off my education. So during that time, I said, okay, this is an interesting domain to get into. And uh, part of it actually came in from all the mischiefs you can do in your campus life and play prank on people by doing something which is somehow related to security or uh, activities. So uh, during that time, it became popular. And then I was known for these kind of mischiefs, so to say. But the long and boring lectures of uh, the professors in the college It actually turned towards the good side of the whole security. And that's how I came into the security. I initially started my career into the IT infrastructures, but uh, jumped on to full-fledged security very early on, doing a variety of security activities, which includes uh, wireless security research, penetration testing, uh, architecture uh, compliances came in later on but yeah i've been doing uh, security of various activities very early on back in those days uh, we didn't had any mo- interesting gathering or community activity happening across in india and i'm talking about early 2006 7 times okay so i thought there is a need uh, there is a requirement so i started uh, india's first ever hackers conference Uh, Back in 2007, it started and uh, it ran for a few, uh, almost close to 10 years. And then I said, okay, perfect. Uh, Now that there's a conference happening and gathering happening every now and then I can move on from that event to other activities. So that was one of the activities which I started early on. And that's kind of the entrepreneurial thing which kicked in that, okay, if there's no one doing, you can actually start doing it. Yeah. Uh, With that a lot of security activities, communities, teaching, training, all of that. I also parallelly along with the day job started teaching at various uh, prestigious colleges on and around cybersecurity. And that was one of the major activity I did for a long time. And that gives you a good insight or rather good network with people. So students of those times are now working as CISOs at multiple companies. So now you have that kind of a network uh, built up with them. So that was uh, the security activity. So this uh, event which I started actually turned into a full-fledged entrepreneurial activity since then. In between, there were a few large-scale interesting projects like the Commonwealth Games, which happened in India. So I was the director of technology for that, handling technology and uh, security, hands-on for all the real-time applications. So nothing like a 99.999% uptime, there's only 100% uptime you can have in a games kind of a scenario. So those kind of set up, uh, those kind of engagements and then started full-time into own entrepreneurship rather than working for someone else. Uh, created a company. Uh, so first one was still on. Created another one into cybersecurity education. Okay. That got acquired in 2016. Then uh, started another one, which is now actively in the domain of the virtual CISO consulting and helping people plan and strategize their security. With that, uh, I'm here today. Uh, been a lot of activity, done a lot of activity. Now trying to figure out, okay, I'm still trying to learn a lot of stuff into the whole business part of it, the whole entrepreneurial side of it. Mm. But as yes, at the side, I do invest in a lot of startups these days. And interestingly, I do not invest in cybersecurity startup or I haven't started investing in them. But yes, uh, and I'm mentoring a bunch of startups in various other domains. That the kind of mistakes I did early on, let them not do that.
0: Okay, I mean, so much to unpack there, but I I'll pick up on. Well, uh, maybe I'll actually try and go in order. So you said your your interest started with being, uh, with some of the mischief in in college. Any, any stories that you can give us that was uh an example of the mischief that um. You, you sort of got into in terms of uh, playing around with the security concept that you're willing to share? I, you can say no. <laughs> so
1: I, I, I can share one. Uh, I'm not sure if the young audience would ever understand, but people at my age or even elder than me in the security industry would understand the whole fun part of it. There used to be uh, the dial-up internet connectivity back then. This is post-BBS and when internet was becoming popular out here in India as well. So there used to be the concept of a cyber cafe where a shop and then people would have 5, seven, ten computers running there and then they would put in a username and password to connect and then distribute that line to all the computer inside that shop, so to say. Mm. So happy in convincing or rather social engineering the cyber cafe owner that they will give me access to the one of the main computer from where the dial-up is actually originating. I would sit down dig into registry and other stuff to get out the password saved for the uh, dialogue. Oh, nice. <laughs> that that was one. And uh, you know what? Then I would say the other guy, the other uh, cyber cafe owner, so to say, they're okay, I can give you username and password. You can bill on someone else. So yours would be free. So <laughs> people would be happy. And actually I circulated these four or five password within four or five people. And I used to get free internet everywhere. So oh. that was early on mischiefs, which would have... Um, People would have thought that they are not uh, paying or they're getting free internet, but practically everyone was paying for that internet access. And I was the one who was getting it for free. So those kind of fun and mischievous activity. And then it went into reverse engineering, uh, looking at the uh, way the shares work, how can you bypass their protection, learning all of them from that. Mm-hmm. But then converting it towards the positive side, helping people out and enterprises out that, okay, how can you now secure your infrastructures?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I, I you know, the, I like the first story because today password management is is so tricky for the individual person, and yet every time there's some type of incident that happens, what do we all say? We all say, "Do you have multi-factor authentication on?" You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> so starting from that standpoint, I mean, I'm sure you, you, that's um, one of the pieces of advice that you give everyone because you personally know. Um, yes, and and then i, I want to jump into the the amazing network that you have must you must have built for yourself uh, i have two questions there so first you said you you started the first hacker conference in india how how much of a network did that provide you i mean for t- over 10 years and you did you run it yourself the entire 10 years and just to
1: like grow it yes yes yeah. and uh, to talk about network i'll just tell you one thing for all my businesses today Mm -hmm. I don't have a sales or a marketing team or a sales or a marketing effort. All of my business comes through the personal network. Only people who have been knowing me since then, people have been knowing me even now because of my social activities around security. Most of the business which I, or rather all of the business I get is from the personal network. People call up, oh, Rohit, I have a problem. Can you come and help us? Yeah. Or Rohit, they're thinking of getting secure. Can you guide us how to do that? So majority, all of them are coming that way. Some of them, some of the businesses coming from the network of network. So somebody would say, oh, I have a problem. The guy would say, I know someone who can help you out. And that's how the business is coming. So the network, which started getting created back in 2006, 2007, is reaping benefit in 2024 as well.
0: And you answer the question that I was actually going to ask you um, with respect to the network, because also by teaching, you said you have now taught people who are currently security professionals within companies. And so I was going to literally just answer the question, which was, how much sales and marketing do you have to do considering how wide and and deep your network must be? So I'm guessing you consider a, building a network to be the most critical thing in terms of starting the a most, business.
1: The most thing. And I uh, taught, teach about the same stuff to all the young entrepreneurs, that you have to know how to build a network. You have to leverage your network. Yeah, and if you're doing that, the trust value which you get, and specifically in cybersecurity industry, a lot of business will come only if the person, only in the organization is trusting you. Yep. And that trust can always be built with a human touch. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So go out and do networking. Yes. <laughs>
0: um, and okay, so my favorite question, which is, if you've, if you've heard the podcast, you know is what is the most difficult thing about running and starting your own business? Most of the time, people say sales and marketing. So I am just dying for, of curiosity as to what your answer is going to be for that question.
1: So in, in my case, sales and marketing, I won't call it that big a problem per se. Mm-hmm. The bigger issue which I personally feel is uh, scaling and scaling optimally. Mm. There is one part of scaling where you can just blindly start getting more and more customers start delivering. But unless until you're delivering value and empathy with the customer, they won't going to stay with you longer. Mm -hmm. You can go ahead quickly, uh, do some pieces of activity. Suddenly they're in a better shape and it's done. But if you are not understanding their business and helping them bottoms up into the business line, it becomes difficult. And for that problem, I have the problem with scaling. Mm. I won't be able to scale it beyond a certain level because me and my partner, we're just limited in number. We can have only that much business. I can get more people. I can hire more people, but finding the right person who would deliver in our quality and make sure that they understand it from the customer point of view is more important. Yes. The challenge, the challenge is people will come and people will deliver what is required but all you have to do is give more than that. You have to make f- the customer feel that he's getting more value than what he's paying for. And once that starts happening, you got a long-lasting customer. So for me, finding the right team and scaling is the bigger challenge than sales and marketing.
0: Interesting. So you just mentioned that you have a partner. How big is your current company?
1: Um, We're small. We're around four people in the team as full-timers, uh, partners and people included. And then we have a bunch of consultants uh, we use for various activities, but the complete VC so role is something which we do on our own.
0: You and your partner. Yeah. Okay, just the two of you offering the partners. VC- the four of us. The four of you. The four partners are yeah, offering yeah, VC so yeah. services completely. Okay. Um, so then, the other interesting thing you said in your in your background intro was that you are an investor and advisor to some startups. Um, but not any security startups. That's very curious. And I want to bring in the struggle that you said that's the most difficult for you is the scaling. How are you providing, I'm sure you're providing them with security advice. Love to hear about that. But how are you also helping them with their scaling problem?
1: So uh, practically, a lot of advisors go out of scaling, but it's like uh, walk the talk part of it. I may not be doing some of their activities, but for me, it is more dependent on certain set of skill set with people. Mine is a people dependent business. For them, there are SaaS companies. There are not uh, the companies which are not fully dependent on human skill set. Mm-hmm. So there, the scaling uh, happen. The go to market strategies are different for them. It's different for practically every company, even if they are looking similar. So we help them in that line. That okay? What would be your best approach to increase your activities and sales? And I'm not against scaling if I get real uh, people the way I provide services to my client. If I'm getting people like that, I'm happy to scale along with them.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's
1: how my partnership has built by now. But yes, uh, that's the whole idea that, okay, there are other activities. And there are a lot of mistakes even we have done early in our life, in our previous startup. Though those mistakes are then taught to the young other that, okay, what you should not be doing so that you are in a much safer steps from here on then.
0: Yeah, you know it's very fascinating to me because now that I've done over forty episodes of this, talking to various entrepreneurs, some who are very much just a single person um, running their their virtual CISO business, and others who are facing that scaling challenge, and I think it takes a different mindset to want to build and grow a business. You know, as you were just saying, with keeping the quality at the level and with the specifications that you have for yourself as you know, in in your partners um, so that you're serving your clients all in this consistent um, manner. Right. So you've talked about the fact that you've started and sold businesses before. I think you said in the intro four, is it?
1: This this is the fourth one. This This is is the fourth fourth
0: one. one. Okay. Any learnings from the previous ones that you brought to this one that is helping you with your success?
1: I'm sure there would be a lot of such kind of learning that, okay, what kind of mistakes were happened in the previous one. But so uh, one thing which I'm shying away even right now to do a product startup, because Mm -hmm. I realized that, okay, product startup versus services startup, there are two different things. Mm -hmm. So I've been avoiding product startups. And now I'm actually wanting to learn the product startups and get that DNA in so that I can try something new. So maybe someday I will get a mentor to teach me the right product startups and then try that one. But yes, there are a lot of learnings which is coming in from the previous one. And then you you kind of, you, you can't keep a tab of all of those, but you it gets into your experience, so to say, that you keep using in your next activity.
0: And the fact that you're on your fourth one implies to me that you enjoy the entrepreneurial experience.
1: I do, I love it.
0: what do you love about it?
1: The best part is uh, it pushes you and it makes you feel like a fresher again in the industry. And you are now doing something where you have to learn everything on your own and start doing it. Half of it, you can do it from experience. But then once you're changing the domain or rather changing the core activity, you get into the learnings of the new one and then you find people, you find resources to learn more and then start doing in that. That keeps your brain active and keeps you happy.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to pivot a little bit here. Um, let's actually maybe even back up. We talked about your current business as being a virtual CISO business, but let's expand on that a little bit. Tell the audience what you offer to clients, what kind of clients you work with. Give us a shells pitch, okay. basically. Sure. <laughs>
1: Okay, so uh, we we have some rules and regulations in our uh, total business offerings which we do. A, we do not take any irritating customer. We have done enough in life to have a painful customer again. And uh, secondly, we cater to a startup from five people up to a max of 1500 people uh, company. We don't okay. go beyond them. That's our sweet spot, so to say. We help them build the Complete security program. And this is one segment of the companies where uh, some of them do have a full-time CISOs who may not be skilled in all the activities required. So that's where we augment them. We help them uh, making the things right. For many, they don't even have a security person in the team. Then they're either pushed by a regulator or a client that they have to go secure. Mm-hmm. and that's how we jump in we help them uh, strategize the whole security plan it for them show them the risk metrics tell them what are the risks involved with your organization one thing which you do which was the client empathy part which you are talking about we look at everyone as a fresh we give them the risk depending on their business their industry and their scale plus the threat perception so then we help them decide a roadmap We never, uh, we never, never push any product or vendor. And that's how companies feel that, okay, we are on their part rather than just pushing a solution and giving it to them. Mm -hmm. Practically, when we recommend even uh, any uh, technology or solution, so to say, we give our clients option of three or four vendors who can solve the same problem and let them choose which one is best fitting for them. Makes sense. So that's why they they don't feel like, okay, something is being pushed onto their head that, okay, you have to buy this software. It's all vendor-driven marketing and I've seen that. Mm -hmm. So we try to run it that way. There are certain companies where uh, we help them only in a certain areas of security, not the full fledged because they already have a working team and something's are happening. Something like a product security or something like only the awareness part of it or only the architecture building and uh, stuff like that. So, we augment some of the services where the need is. And then at the same time, we make sure that everyone in the company is learning along with us, specifically the IT, the security team. That, okay, if my tenure is over, if my project is over, when I go out, at least you are aware how to handle here onward. Okay. That's our effort every time. Having said that, there are certain clients of ours where we do not do anything security. Although it looks like we are there to do security. But most of the time, we keep doing HR activities because two people in the company don't want to talk to each other. So we talk to both of them, pass on the (laughs) message, passing the parcel. (laughs) We do a lot of that as well. uh, And this has been done with some of the very large clients. On and off, we get one of the very, very large customers, like a 17,000 people company, three countries set up or a five-country setup of uh, 80,000, 90,000 people in the team. There, these are more bigger problems that because they have become such a giant mammoth, they don't want to talk to each other, and the work is still to be done. So our role is talk to both, be, be the actual router in between, pick up packets from one, send it to another. and the... So once in a while, we keep doing the HR problem as well, but yeah, majorly, majority of the time is going into this.
0: That's that's hilarious, and and also something that I myself have um, noticed, especially with the larger organizations, is that there's almost like a bit of conflict internally between, you know, people in terms of I'm the business unit. I just want to get things done. I don't want to deal with security. And then security is kind of like, well, no, you, we have to work together. And so um, it can be very difficult. I do want to focus a little bit on something you said at the beginning, which is you don't work with painful clients. And I think most especially if you're running your own v- virtual ciso business. Um first of all, you, you when you're starting up, you'll take almost any client because you just, you know, need to start getting the revenue engine going. How would you advise someone to identify if if you potentially have a painful as you called it um client? I know how I might identify them, but how how do you avoid the 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 yes, that type so, of client?
1: At, at times uh, in the beginning Of the conversation, only you get to know that, okay, this lad is just looking to get a tick box and is not keen in actually securing things. Or uh, during the first phase where we do the complete deep gap analysis of the organization with their uh, industry and infrastructure and whatever they have, most probably while we are presenting the report after phase one, That's how we get to know that, okay, this customer is not at all going to be a happy one. Or in the initial set of meetings itself, you understand that, okay, the intent of why they have onboarded you is different. And they're not really keen in securing things. We kind of avoid picking up a tick in the box kind of a security. Mm. So anything which is who's strictly looking for a tick in the box security we kind of excuse ourselves either in the beginning or if you understand it late, then in the phase one, we kind of start excusing ourselves. And at times we have not even given the proposal for the phase two.
0: Mm. That makes sense. I mean, you know, just to bring in a a personal anecdote on that too, I, I, as you know, I'm in the business of security questionnaires and um, I, I have definitely had potential clients come to me and say, I just want you to help me pass the security questionnaire. And I'm like, well, you know, there's helping you pass. And then there's, I just want you to tell me what the right answers are. And it's like, well, I could tell you the right answers, but you actually have to be using, you know, implementing the security controls. (laughs) So so if, if you were to give advice to someone who is thinking about starting their own virtual CISO business, uh, what, what would you, what advice would you give them?
1: First thing, make sure that the customer is happy. Even the first customer. Make sure that he becomes your champion and he is recommending or she is recommending you to your next client. If you're not making a customer client happy, then it's going to be a very tedious and very boring job. Mm. Enjoy the whole process and make sure you're giving value. I always believe in uh, under committing and over delivering. If you charge whatever amount, if you're giving more than that, the customer is happy with you and he is always going to recommend you to someone else. And that's the network part of it. That's the human part of it, which can be added there. But yes, that's the one.
0: That's excellent advice. And I just looked at the clock and oh my goodness, we are way out of time. But I I do have a minute or 30 seconds to ask my favorite question. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> um, which is, what is the number one security tip that you tell your friends at social events?
1: Okay, it Completely depends on which kind of, friend. if the security aware friend or security unaware friend, a lot of friends, because in the industry, there are a lot of security aware friend as well. The unaware friend are the standard stuff, password manager and multi-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. Those are the two recommendations. But with uh, people who are in the industry or who understand security, even if they're not in the security industry, the most time the discussion goes around the uh, doomsday scenario discussion. Mm. What if something happens? What if your two-factor is on your phone and your phone is lost or stolen while it is unlocked? What will happen then? How do you protect then? So most of the doomsday scenario discussion are the favorite part where the tech smart crowd is in the party. For others, as we said, multi-factor authentication and password managers are the biggest one.
0: Yep, yep. It's good advice. And Rahud, I thank you so much. I could keep talking to you forever, but I am very appreciative of your time. I know you're very busy. Um So could you just please tell our listeners how they can find you and talk to you more?
1: Okay. So uh, my online handle uh, since very, very early on has been Rohit11, Rohit11. You can search that directly on Google or uh, Rohit11.com or Twitter slash Rohit11 or LinkedIn slash Rohit11. That's where you can find me, Rohit and Numerical11. Hmm.
0: Great. Well, As I said, I could keep going. Maybe we'll have to do another podcast. But if um, the list for the listener right now, you can obviously find this podcast on Substack and Apple Podcasts at the Secret Expert Marketplace. And I hope you will join us again next time. Rohit, thank you again. And uh, talk to you soon.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Carolyn.